Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. Book of Revelation chapter 8. Book of Revelation chapter 8. And I'm just going to pray for me as I try to navigate through this tonight. And um, as we begin to, to walk through this, we are in, in the middle of um, the tribulation period here in the book of Revelation. And we are... Uh, in the midst of this tribulation period, the church has already been raptured and is in heaven. If you look at our timeline up there, the church right now at this time period of Revelation chapter 8 is, is either standing at the judgment seat of Christ or we're engaging in the marriage supper of the Lamb while the tribulation is going on here on earth and all of those who have rejected Christ and has missed the rapture have remained and all of a sudden, there is this pouring out of these sealed judgments, these seven sealed judgments that are being poured out and opened up. And, and we looked at some of those the last time we met. But as we begin to look at this, uh, this deals with the Great Tribulation. And just to give you an idea of what time period this is, Jesus described this time period in, Reve- in Matthew 24, 21. He said, for, for then there will be a great tribulation, such has not been seen since the beginning of the world until this time, nor will there ever be. And Jesus described this, that there is a time that is coming on the earth when there's going to be such calamity and judgment. It'll be like no other time in the history, and there will never be another time that is like it. And this is how the Lord Jesus describes the great tribulation. We are now moving from tribulation period into the great tribulation period. And these seal judgments, and you'll see the trumpets and the vile judgments, the bold judgments will be poured out. These are, these are all in a seven-year period of the tribulation. And the way the book of Revelation lays out, these judgments are poured out. We see them, and then we go back and we get a deeper history of what's going on in the book of Revelation. And we begin to see the specifics of the book. You get into... Uh, uh, the Antichrist and the beast and the rise of the false church. All these things come later in the book. But we are now seeing this systematic pouring out of the things which shall be hereafter. And that's what you see here that is happening here in the book of Revelation. And, uh, and we see the, the, we, we, we find a scroll with seven seals that have been opened. And the seals are broken. The tribulation uh, horrors are unfolding in front of us. Uh, we have saw the opening of the seven seals. We saw the four horses, the white, the red, the black, and the pale horse. We saw the martyrs that are under, um, that are under the altar, those who were martyred for their faith, who became Christians after the tribulation. And then in the last seal that we saw, the opening, that, that it opened up these disasters on the earth and began to be poured out. But now we come to... Um, here in the book of Revelation, we see as the, as the seventh seal was broken and opened, um, all of a sudden something happens when this seal is open, the seventh seal that is open. Um, it preludes. Once the seal is open, uh, there is a period of silence, and then there is the pouring out of these trumpet seals or judgments, and we're going to look at some of those tonight for just a moment if we can, and as we begin to look at these. But there's some real awesome truth that is found in this as we begin to look at it. Let's look at the book of Revelation. I'm going to read verses uh, 1 through uh, 6 to you, and then we'll get right into them as we go through them tonight. Uh, Beginning in verse 1. And when he opened the seventh seal, there was a silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And uh, how many know heaven is not arranged by time, But John, who is seeing the vision, he's still on earth, so he is still bound by time. And so he sees a silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And I saw the the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne, and the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints. 
ascended before God from the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it to the earth. And there was noise, uh, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. Now, some of you in your translation, it may say there was voices, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. And then verse 6, and the seventh and the seven angels who have the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. They prepared themselves to sound. And so here we see in heaven the breaking of the seventh seal. There is this, there is this silence that takes place in heaven. And turn me, I'm ringing just a little bit, just turn me down just a tiny bit. And this silence delineates this last seal. The seal is broken and all of a sudden, boom, there's this half hour of silence that is in heaven. This ominous silence. It's like a lull before the storm. If any of you have, in the summertime, when they say that a storm is coming, sometimes there's the gentleness of quietness that you feel before that storm comes and before it hits. There is this time, uh, this stillness, this silence it's kind of like the silence that you, that awkward silence you'd feel before an announcement. Or um, uh, if you've ever been in a jury, uh, in a courtroom where a jury's ready to give a verdict, there's this ominous silence before the verdict is read. And so we see this awkward, there's this silence in heaven. And I believe there's a reason for that. I'm going to share that with you in just a moment. And then it tells us that in verse 2, And I saw seven angels who stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. So there's seven angels who were given seven trumpets. And trumpets is used in the Bible for many things, uh, including uh, the, they sound the alarm for war. They, they sound the alarm for gathering. Um, and so very much like we use sirens today, and, and these seven angels were given seven trumpets. And so the seven trumpets come out of this seven seal that is open. And before the seven angels blow these trumpets, God inserts this parenthesis. And we learned a wonderful lesson about prayer in these couple of verses, verses 3 through 6. We learned something wonderful about prayer. So before these angels blow the seven trumpet the seven trumpets of judgment, another angel shows up on the scene. And we see that in verse 3 it says, And then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. And he was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints as ascended before God from the angel's hand. And then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it to the earth. Now this is an interesting interlude and we see here. We see that incense in the Bible is always an illustration of prayer. Incense in scripture is always an illustration of prayer. And so um, when we pray, our prayers go up to heaven like sweet incense, a fragrance into the nostrils of God. This illustrates the Old Testament, uh, is illustrated in the Old Testament when the priest would sprinkle and burn incense upon the altar. There are times that uh, in the Old Testament when the priest would go in, they would burn incense off of the altar. The smoke of those incense represented the prayers of the saints. We see it is illustrated also in Luke chapter 1 when we see uh, Zechariah who is in the temple and ministering in the temple, the scripture says, when the angel of the Lord appears to him and tells him that he's going to have a son named John. If you all remember that story, the Bible says he was in the, he was in the temple ministering to the Lord at the altar of incense and the crowd was outside interceding and praying as he was offering these incense of prayer. And so incense represent prayer. And so uh, this is, a, this is a, an interesting picture because when we begin to look at this, we begin to see, you wonder what is the meaning of all of this? What is the, 
What is the, and you see the angel takes the incense, he mixes it with the coals off of the brazen altar, and, and he puts it on the golden altar that produces a smoke or the incense. Uh, and, and so the censer with the coals off the altar of judgment. And then the angel flings, flings the coals from the altar to the earth, and then there's voices speaking, trumpets sounding, earthquakes shaking, calamity is about to begin on the earth. The altar of judgment, of course, represents the death of Jesus Christ for our sins. Every Old Testament altar spoke of Jesus dying on the cross. Every Old Testament altar, picture of an altar, is a picture of the cross. Every Old Testament altar speaks of Jesus dying on the cross. So if we do not turn from our sins and receive Jesus as our Savior, then then the very sacrifice that is meant to be a blessing will become a curse to us. The gospel is a double-edged sword. If the death of Jesus does not save you, then the death of Jesus one day will condemn you. You hearing what I'm saying? That if you don't receive Jesus as your Savior, and, and if Jesus Christ does not save you, then His death will now, His death will, 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 be, will condemn you, and, and, and you will stand sinful before God as Jesus died for each one of us. It is, it is the very blood that will testify against you. And so the people that are on the earth at this time uh, have refused Jesus, even though he died for their sins. And so when the angel flings the coals of the altar of judgment onto the earth, the horrors of the great tribulation begin to intensify. And so the next major event in the book of Revelation is the sounding of the seven trumpets. But here before these trumpets are blown, we see this picture. Now, there's a deeper picture to this than just reading about the priest going to the altar. There is a deeper meaning to this, and it is this. Some scholars believe that the picture here that we see is some believe that the angel that comes in uh, is representative of Christ. That he is that it's representative of Christ. That it is a picture of Christ. It is a picture of the Day of Atonement. The imagery of the Day of Atonement. So what many scholars believe and say is that what we see here, John has given us a picture of what Jesus is doing now in heaven. What he is, what is the activation that is going on in heaven? We're getting a picture of the throne room. We're getting a picture of what's happening, and we're seeing the activity of the priest that is being mentioned here, which was the activity of the priest of the Old Testament. But John has given us a glimpse of the Day of Atonement imagery, that this is an actual picture of what Christ is doing for the church even at this moment. And so when we begin to look at this, this is the image of Jesus himself as our heavenly high priest. How many know Jesus now is our high priest? He is our heavenly high priest. And so we begin to see this. And so this 30 minutes of silence, you say, well, why is that mentioned? I've been studying that this week. And did you know that Jewish scholars say that on the Day of Atonement, that this, this act of performance of the incense took the priest 30 minutes to do? This was an act that was done by the priest, and it was a 30-minute Act. That's why we have this analogy of the 30 minutes here, because it was a picture of what the priest did. Now, only a priest could offer incense in the Jewish temple. This angel has a censer of incense and is at the golden altar of the heavenly temple. And the 30 minutes occurred when the priest would enter into the Holy of Holies. Now, we know only the priest could do that. Only the priests were able to enter into the Holy of Holies. We, we saw in 2 Chronicles 26, a king tried to do that one time. And all of a sudden, instant judgment came on him when he tried to do it. Um, and so early writings tells us, this is interesting. Early writings say that there were two angels that were in charge of the altar. 
One of the angels was called Raphael, uh, which is Jewish tradition, is the angel over the prayers, and Gabriel was seen at the altar as, as one that would minister over the altar. This is just Jewish tradition that I'm giving you. But the Bible says the angel here mixes the incense with the prayers of the saints. There is this incense was used in the temple and was a picture of the prayers of the saints. Psalms 141.2 says, Let my prayer be set before you as incense, as David would say. The prayer in, this cha- in, the prayer in chapter 6 was to avenge the blood of the innocent. Now, think about this for a moment. Here is prayers that are being offered before the throne room of God, but whose prayers are they? The church is no longer on the earth, is that right? So the church, where the church is not there. The church is in heaven. Uh, we're at the Bema seat, or we're at the uh, uh, Supper of the Lamb. But there are those who became believers during the tribulation. And so whose prayers are these that the angel is taking to the altar? Whose prayers are these? Well, we see who they are in Revelation chapter 6 and verse 10. You will see, and it says, And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, O holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while, while longer, until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who would be killed as they were, uh, was complete. In other words, these are tribulation saints uh, who had cried out in the tribulation and said, How long, O Lord, are you going to wait to judge those who are on the earth? And so before this, these massive judgments of these, uh, these uh, uh, trumpets are blown and, and these trumpet judgments, all of a sudden we get this picture in heaven and is the imagery of the priests putting the prayers before the altar of God and they were burning these incense which represents the prayers of the saints and then the angel takes the coals off of the off the altar of judgment, and he mixes in the incense. The incense represented Jesus. It represented Christ's work on the cross. How many know that our prayers, in order to be answered, have to be mingled with the blood of Jesus and the will of God? Amen? And so, uh, where do our prayers come from? Our prayers come from our sacrificed life. Our life that has been redeemed through the blood of Jesus. And so we pray the will of God for our life and we mix the work of the cross in with our prayers which produce an incense before God. But this angel had taken these prayers and brought them before the holy place here. And so we see the angel throws these incense to the earth and the judgment of God begins and continues. And so we get this picture The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 9 that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father ever interceding for us. And He's our high priest in heaven right now. He is is mingling uh, His redemptive blood through our lives, our prayers, our, our, our incense unto God and to the nostrils of God. Uh, our, our prayers come off of the, the altar of our lives, and so they're presented to God. They're presented before God. This is a picture of the Day of Atonement, when the priests would go in on the Day of Atonement. And so three groups are judged on the Day of Atonement. There's the, the totally righteous, which are in heaven at the Bema Seat. And the Bema Seat is talked about in Revelation chapter 11, verse 18. That is, that is where, at this time period, you know, this is where we are. We're being judged. Our lives, our Christian lives are being held accountable unto God. Did you know that your Christian life will be brought before God also? The things that you do, you, the way your whole life will be, you'll be given an account of your life before God. And there's rewards that will be given for those who are faithful in God. And, uh, and then later, we lay those crowns and those jewels and rewards at the feet of Jesus. 
but it also determines it also determines our position in the kingdom. You say, what kingdom? There's a coming kingdom where Jesus rules on the earth for a thousand years. And, and, and based on our performance in the family determines our position in the kingdom. We see that illustrated in Genesis chapter 49. When, when uh, Jacob judges his sons. All of his sons are judged in Genesis 49. They come before Jacob and Jacob gives them their inheritance. And their inheritance, in their inheritance, it's not a question of whether or not they're in the family. Because they are. But what is, what is held before Jacob, Jacob judges them based on their performance in the family. And so, when you get to the Bema seat of Christ, it's not a matter of whether or not, the question is not whether or not you're in the family if you're raptured in the church and make it to heaven, you're in the family. But your performance in the family will be determined by God. You will be judged on your performance in the family. We know that there'll be those, and you read, you go through and read Jacob's sons. And they stood before Jacob and they received judgment based upon their lives. We saw that Levi and Simeon was judged and they, were, they lost part of their inheritance because of their cruelty of the slain of the Shechemites. If, if you remember that, Jacob judged them. And so they were crushed at the judgment seat. They lost their inheritance. There are those that are blessed at the judgment seat. Joseph was blessed at the judgment seat. He was, his, he was given double portion to his sons, Manasseh and Ammon. And so the judgment seat is a place where... Uh, uh, will be given account for our lives. Then there are those on the Day of Atonement that are totally unrighteous, which represent those that are on the earth at this time in the tribulation, who repent not. Revelation 16, 11. And then we have the, those that are in between. Those who, came, who weren't raptured in the rapture, but they came through into the tribulation, and now they make a, they're making a choice to serve Christ or to give their lives to God. They were not prepared for the rapture. They were not overcomers. They, did not, they were virgins that did not have oil in their lamp. And they were left behind. They were stewards that did not handle the gifts that God had given them. And they were left behind. They missed the rapture. And now they have to die for their faith in the middle of the tribulation. And in the midst of beheading and in the midst of of all of the judgments that's happening, they are crying out to God saying, God, how long will it be till you bring judgment on the face of the earth? And so the earthly priest entered the Holy of Holies four times on the Day of Atonement. The first time he would take the fire off the altar of incense. The second time he would kill a bull and place the blood in a bowl. The third time was to come in and sprinkle the blood on the ark seven times, or the mercy seat of the ark. The fourth time he would come in and he would announce that it is done, it is finished. This is a picture of, of what, what is happening in the midst of... Uh, and so we get this picture. Now, all of a sudden, uh, these, these coals are slung to the earth and all of a sudden there's this eruption. And now we begin to see the opening of these trumpet judgments that are open and it said this and the seven angels who had the seven trumpets verse six prepared themselves to sound and now all of a sudden there's the release of these judgments on the earth now think about being here during that time they've already gone through uh the the uh, uh seven seals and the 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 pale and the horse and the horse judgments they've already gone through uh, what we see, some of the disasters that have faced. Now is coming what is called the second period of the great tribu- the tribulation, what is called the great tribulation. This is a period that is like no other. I mean, this is God pouring out wrath on this earth and pouring out wrath on this world. And I don't know about you, I would not want to be a part of that. I would not want to survive and live through the tribulation and I would not want to be alive when these judgments are being released on the earth. And so here we see these trumpets are being opened up. Now the first trumpet 
is judgment upon the land and the things that grow upon the earth. In verse 7, let's read it. It says, The first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed and mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the trees were burn up, and all the green grass was burned up. So we see these judgments. We see these, this first trumpet judgment is a judgment upon the land and the things that grow upon the earth. Now, let me say this. One of the things that I found out in studying this and preparing for this is that there's great debate on whether or not these judgments, when they're read in Scripture, whether they are literal judgments or whether these judgments are symbolic. In other words, there's symbolic meaning to these judgments or whether they are literal. Uh, here's what I believe personally. I believe they're both. I believe they're literal judgments, but I also believe there's a symbolism to them also in certain aspects. And when we begin to look at this, and so we begin to look at this judgment upon the land and the things that grow upon the earth, we begin to see. Now the first four judgment judgments that we read here of these trumpet judgments, the first four of them take seven verses. But the last three take 50 verses. I'd find that interesting. It's interesting because the first seven verses, the, the first four, the intensity, they're intense, but they're not as intense as the last three. The first four judgments are intense judgments, but they're not as intense as the, the fifth, sixth, and seventh of these judgments. The seventh pours out the seven vials or the bold judgments also that we'll see, but we'll see that there's, this is interesting. And so uh, you can take in them literally. Most scholars believe they're literal. The first three uh, or the first four are literal and not as symbolic as the last three. But I believe there's a little bit of both. In verse 7 it said that hail and fire came to the earth. Hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth. There's a couple of Old Testament passages that use hail and fire as the judgment of God. We read in Isaiah 28 and verse 2 that um, God uses hail. And Job 38 verses 22 and 23, He uses as hail as judgment on the earth or a judgment on thing. But we also see fire in Genesis 19 and verse 24. We all know God sent fire to judge what? Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 19. Is that not right? So God has used hail and fire literally to bring judgment upon the earth. Now this is what's interesting. Henry Morris, who's a scientist um, and a great scholar, he wrote that the worldwide, this would produce, uh, this judgment uh, literally would produce worldwide volcanic explosion, violent earthquakes, and in the midst of all of that, there would be uh, a, a, an explosion of water vapors uh, that would be blown skyward, that would produce hailstones and showers of burning lava. And the blood of entrapped men and animals might be mingled with this judgment. So here you have fire and hail being thrown to the earth. You see these eruptions, uh, the earth just exploding with violent earthquakes, volcanic eruptions, and these hail showers being thrown, this burning lava that is thrown, and entrapped men and people on the earth would be entrapped and blood would be mingled with this judgment, as it is said, which could be the judgment of the death of animals and uh, humanity also. Now the scripture says a third of the earth is burned up with blazing fire. The earth's forests are going to be devastated. The green grass is going to be burned. That means vegetation, crops, animals. So the animals are for food. Crops are for food. So this judgment comes. Hail and fire comes and burns up. A third of the earth is devastated and destroyed. And the, the, the globe is, the, the earth is scorched with this burning and, and this judgment that comes. And so, as you begin to think about this, if this is not a symbolic judgment, how would it be a literal judgment? 
And, uh, and as you begin to look at this judgment, think about this happening on the earth. Think about a third of the earth burned up. One third of the earth being burned up. Think about this judgment that comes on men who refuse to accept God or to give Christ His proper place. Those who say this is not a symbolic but a literal judgment say it's the judgment on man because if you remember, turn with me over to the book of Romans. Turn with me over to the book of Romans, chapter 1. I want to read to you. Some say this is a literal judgment. Man has refused to accept God, has refused to acknowledge that God is on his throne. And so here in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, it says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in what? In unrighteousness, right? Because Because what may be known of God is manifested in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. What does that passage tell us? That passage tells us that man has refused to acknowledge God, even though God has shown Himself, God has revealed Himself from heaven, God has made Himself known, manifested Himself to them. The Scripture says, since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by what? The things that are made. The Bible tells us that we can look at creation and know that there's a God. We can look at creation and know that God exists. Creation tells us. And then the Bible tells us, but they, in verse 21, it says, Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. You can go on to read down in verse 20, 24. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. And so what do we see here? We see the, they worship the creator, the creature rather than the creator. The man, uh, man worshiped Mother Earth and, and, and they gave God no place. They gave God no place on the earth. What does that tell us? That tells us, that those, this judgment is being poured out on, on, on evolutionist, uh, evolution, ev- environmental atheism, really. The evolution uh, that says God is... See, there's, there's this, this thing... Have you ever heard people say, well, God is in everything, right? They say God is, God is in everything. God is everything. Um, in other words, what they're telling you is this, is that, is that creation holds the same place that man does. How many know creation doesn't hold the same place as man? How many know we were the crown of God's creation? All things were created by Him and for Him, and all things were made, and, and all things, all creation was made for mankind. That we, that, and so what happens is people have put what is created above mankind. That's why we have abortion. Because we don't see the value of life in man. Do you realize there were 750,000 people that attended Central Park Earth Day a couple of years ago to worship the earth, creation instead of the creator? So, so what is this judgment a picture of? It is a picture of God sending his judgment. What is he judging? God will destroy their false god. What is their false god? Their false god is creation. In other words, what's happening in this judgment? God is getting involved in global warming is what He's doing. And God is warming up the earth. His judgment is coming on the earth. He's turning up the heat. If you think we've messed up the earth, wait till, you, wait till He gets done with it. And so, not only 
is, is, is do we see this destruction, but we see this, this judgment. I think it's a judgment of Romans 1. I think it's a judgment to those who put their whole existence into creation and forget about who the Creator is. How many know God's going to wake them up one day and show them who the Creator really is? Because the very thing that He created, He will send fire to destroy. And they give themselves over to their own lust and their own desires. And they shake their fist at God and they worship creation more than they worship the Creator. And so we see this, this judgment. But also we see that this is also could be symbolic. The grass and the trees in this passage symbolically speak could speak of leaders and peoples of the earth. All flesh is grass. Isaiah chapter 40 verses 6 and 7 says all flesh is grass. And, and it talks about the devastation of the grass. could speak of the devastation of human life. The loss of human life. The dis, this disembodiment or the, the uh, judgment coming upon uh, leaders of people who have set themselves up as kings on the earth. God is bringing judgment upon them. This devastation of humanity and the peoples that are living upon the earth. Then we see the second judgment. The second judgment in verses 8 and 9. Let's read it. It says, Then the second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. And a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. We see this second judgment that is being poured out. And the oceans and the things that live in it. We see this destruction of death in the ocean. One third of the sea. It says that there is this. Here uh, God judges another point of provision for man. The sea. And again here he has. Man has refused to acknowledge God. And the Bible says something like a great mountain burning with fire is thrown into the sea. Now. Many scholars believe that could be a meteor. It could be an asteroid. Um, this, you know, uh, scientists, uh, uh, Henry Morris says that it could be a mediator the size of a mountain that could hit the ocean and produce death in the ocean um, where one-third of the ocean would die. This massive object like a mountain crashing into the ocean. There's no way to know exactly what it is but we know that this judgment, that this fireball is coming like a mountain. It will hit the ocean and one third of the sea uh, will turn the blood, the scripture tells us. That, and, that, and, and, and you know, I can see it now. I mean, we can see if it's something that comes from the heavens. Could you see it being tracked on TV and people watching it, wondering where it's going to hit. And the fear that comes and wondering where this thing's going to land and what it's going to do. I mean, I can see it being tracked on TV. And uh, uh, Dr. Henry Morris says that he believes that the blood, uh, the blood that is released, that it sees that one-third of the ocean will be poisoned um, by... Uh, the poison will come by multitudes of dead microorganisms. Uh, he says that it's possibly that it could be the red tide that... Uh, that is being poured out on the earth. Have you ever heard of red tide? Anybody ever heard of what red tide is? I don't know if you've ever gone through the ocean and you've tried to swim. A couple of years ago, we headed to the ocean. We were on our way to Pensacola, or not Pensacola, but to Panama City. And on our way there, as we were going there, we heard that a whole slew of red tide had come in. And red tide, they're not sure what it is. They just know that it's, that it's this micro... Uh, that this, this poison, this, the, and it kills all the fish. The fish float to the top. There's a rank smell that comes with it. So when it comes in the shore, it brings dead fish up on the shore. There's a smell that's there until that tide is taken out. And I don't know if you've ever smelled red tide, but it's awful. It's got a, it's got a putrid smell, a death smell. And so something like this could be covering the oceans of the earth. And what are the oceans? They're a source of man's provision, a source of man's food, 
A third of the ships shall be destroyed. Man's commerce is going to be destroyed. It's going to be shut down. It's going to be, it's going to be destroyed. And so in the Bible, mountains often speaks of kingdoms. Matter of fact, in Jeremiah 51, Babylon is spoken as a, as a destroying mountain. In other words, and God said that I'm going to make you a burnt mountain. I am against you and I'm going to make you a burnt mountain. Waters are also uh, stand for a, a, for a wicked and restless people. Isaiah 57, 20 tells us the wicked are like the troubled sea. In other words, what we see here is that this could be a judgment upon kingdoms of the earth. That this judgment is poured out upon uh, the kingdoms of the earth. That this judgment is being poured out in, in, in this second judgment or this second uh, judgment. Let's look at the third uh, trumpet. Judgment for upon the rivers and the men who walk on the earth. Verses 10 and 11. Then the third angel sounded and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch. And it fell on the third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star was Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, wormwood and many men died from the water because it was made bitter. So we see this third trumpet judgment. The scripture says there is this judgment that came upon the rivers. This star that burns like a torch comes through the atmosphere. And, and it is believed that it, as it comes through, this burning star will break up and land into the rivers and the bodies of water. And see, man can live... He can, he can somewhat live without food. He can forge for food or try to restore uh, ways to grow food. He can, uh, there may be food that is stored and canned that he can live on. The ocean, uh, he can live without the ocean. Um, but how many know you can't live without fresh water? And so this judgment comes and it is poured out. It says it is a star that burns like a torch that falls into the rivers of springs. All this is happening because man has rejected the gospel preaching and, and, and he keeps rejecting. Um, and all of a sudden, the longer he waits, the harder his heart gets. We see that when repentance is not happening, the judgments become even greater and greater. And matter of fact, chapter 9, verse 21 tells us this. It says, it says And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries, or their sexual immorality, or their thefts. In other words, they continue to not repent. And we know that when they don't repent, your heart gets harder and harder and harder. Again, Dr. Henry Morris believes that this, this could be a comet. This could be a comet that comes into the earth's atmosphere that breaks up as a ball of fire. And, and, and it breaks up and it mans into the waters, the fresh waters of the earth. Now the Bible says the star was named Wormwood. Warmwood. In the Greek, that word means uh, aposinoth, which means deadly, uh, a deadly substance. In Hebrew, it means uh, lyana, which means poison from a root. Um, in Lamentations 3.15, we know Wormwood produces is, an, is a is a liquor or an alcoholic drink that produces drunkenness. And in other words, it is something that is referred to as poison, poisonous, it's bitter, and it can even become deadly. A third of the water became wormwood, or it became deadly, as the Scripture tells us. Now, as I began to think of this, and we began to look at this, I thought as John was writing this, could he have been thinking about John 4? When all of a sudden you see this judgment coming on the fresh waters of the earth here. And as, he is, as John is getting this revelation, could he have been thinking of Jesus when he was before the woman at the well? And this is what he says to her. If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says, give me a drink, would you ask? And he would have given you living water. How many know Jesus is living water? How many know when you got saved, you tapped into living water? And how many know Satan is a fallen star that fell to the earth? 
He is a fallen star. How many know Satan has tried to poison the waters of living water that Jesus gives to everyone? How many know Satan wants to poison the living water that we offer to the world? Jesus is living. He is living water. He is the drink that when we drink, we'll never thirst again. He gives us life. Matter of fact, Revelation 21.6 says that the springs of water of life are ours forever. How many know that we're attached to the living water of life who is Christ Jesus forever? And so the third of the water became wormwood or deadly. And so we see this judgment. We see this, this, this third judgment being poured out. Satan's symbolism in Scripture is a falling stars. Waters can also speak of people. Satan poisons the water of life and human life and society and brings death and destruction to people's lives. Let's look at the fourth judgment, the fourth trumpet and judgment upon the skies and the light that shines in the heavens. This is interesting because we read in verses 12 and 13, Then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened. A third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. And I looked, and I heard an angel flying through the mist of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, because of the meaning because of the remaining blast of trumpets of the three angels who are about to sound. And so we see the sun, the moon, and the stars are reduced by a third. And so scholars believe that when this happens, all of a sudden there's a cooling of the earth. Temperatures begin to drop. All of a sudden it produces, it creates weather patterns that are, that are out of control. It produces weather changes. There's violent storms, unpredictable weather. If you will turn with me and turn with me to Luke chapter 21, I want to read this to you because Jesus talked about this day in Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21 and verse 5. Verse 25, I'm sorry. And there will be signs in the sun and the moon and in the stars and on the earth. And on the earth, the stress of nations with perplexity and the sea and the waves roaring. Men's heart failing them from the fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. For the power of the heavens will be shaken. Here we have these four judgments that have been poured out of the earth that have judged the earth. And then we see this angel in this judgment begin to cry out, Woe! Woe! In other words, what is coming next is worse than what has happened before. And so Luke tells us that men's hearts will begin to fail them for the fear of what is ahead of them. For the fear of what is to come. That the worst is yet to come as verse 13 tells us, of the judgments. And then we see that we, we see that this judgment, the fourth judgment, upon the skies, that, that what it has darkened uh, the sources of light to the earth. That's what sin has done. It has darkened the source of light, which is Christ. The sources of light have been blown out, have been darkened. That every source that represents light to man has been put out, has been men have hated light and now they have their share of darkness. And so there is this, this picture of the light of society that is beginning to go out. This is a judgment that if it's symbolic, it is a judgment on the societal structure of our society. In other words, man has set up his own kingdoms. He has set up his own structures. And, and God all of a sudden now is beginning to, to, to show man. And he's putting man in the dark because man is already in the dark in his mind. 
Y'all, I, I read something today that I thought was interesting. Do y'all know there's a bill before our Congress, um, and it is, a, um, it is the uh, equality uh, bill that's going to be voted on here soon. And you know that's going to reverse every religious right that we have. And what it's going to do, it's going to produce, it's going to remove, um, it's going to make, it's, it, the whole purpose of it to, is to lead into a, a genderless society. That's the purpose of the bill. The bill will, will begin to lead states. It'll give precedence for states to pass laws that produce genderless society. And so they're already, some states are already trying to remove gender identities as he, him, her, she, uh, to not be used in, in our society. Y'all know this stuff is happening. And I'm telling you, the world is trying to set up its own system. And it's trying to pass these laws. And I'm telling you, if we don't wake up, we're going to find ourselves in the midst of a mess. And then all of a sudden now, when, when we have church and we get up and we begin to speak truth and we begin to speak things like uh, uh, man and women and begin to speak how God has created us and made us, all of a sudden now there's going to be laws that will come against even that type of speech. We could face, I mean, in the years to come, you don't know the church could face some type of retribution from our government because we refuse to bow down to the cultural kingdoms that are trying to be set up over the earth. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus has set His kingdom up and it's time for the church to begin to walk out the kingdom of God with authority and with power. And I'm telling you, this is coming. And, and what do you have? There's, there's going to be these, these social, uh, societal structures that are going to be set up. And they, and they don't work. We know they don't work. You know? We don't work. You know, I saw somebody put something on Facebook today. I really loved it. It said, why are all of the immigrants that are coming from all of the, uh, native, or the uh, Latin American nations that are coming, why are they, always, why are they coming to America? Why aren't they going to Venezuela? That's where the socialism is, right? You know why they're not going there? Because that don't work. It doesn't work. And so we, we, have to, we as the church have to begin to waken up. Or all of a sudden these things are going... See, the things that God ordained to give us guidance and light, uh, if we're not careful, will be obliterated. They will take them away. And the prince of this world and his antichrist will begin to brainwash millions. And I believe in the last days, that's what's coming. And we're going to have to fight for the right to be who we are and have the identity that Christ has given us. And so finally tonight we come, I'm going to finish with this, we come to the fifth trumpet. And this is, this is, this is, this is a powerful Remember the angel said, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blast of trumpets of the three angels who are about to sound. I mean, when you think about this, trying to live through this type of catastrophe, if you're left behind, if you don't accept Christ and the rapture happens and you're left here, I mean, could you imagine... Our family members having to walk through this type of devastation. And if they turn themselves to Christ, they're going to become martyrs. They're going to be martyrs. They're going to have to die for their faith. But here's what I say. If you're not willing to live for your faith now, I don't think you're going to have the fortitude to live, to die for Christ in the tribulation. If you're not willing to live for Him now, you're not going to have the faith to want to live for him in the tribulation. But we have this fifth trumpet, and it begins in chapter 9. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. Now we know who that is. That is Satan. He is, he is the one. He's been given the key to the bottomless pit. And, and what happens in verse 2, it says, And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit. Like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. And then out of the smoke, locusts came upon the earth. 
And to them was given power as scorpions of the earth, as scorpions and the earth had power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were given authority to kill, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when he strikes a man. In those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die, and death will flee them. And the shape of the locusts were like horses prepared for battle, and their heads were the crowns of something like gold, and their faces were like the face of men, their hair like the hair of women, and their teeth like that of lions. And they had breastplates, like the breastplates of iron. So what do we see being released here? What we see is that the bottomless pit opened, is opened up. The Greek word is the abyss. Out of the abyss will come, and what it is, it's an invasion of a demonic attack. Satan is given the key to the bottomless pit, and he unlocks the bottomless pit, and outpouring out of it comes these demon-like locusts that are released upon the earth. They were released upon the earth. They are released, and, and, and these demons that are released upon the earth. We know that the abyss was a place that held demons that were cast out. Jesus, when he remember when Jesus was in Gadara and he dealt with the, the, the demon-possessed man and he cast the, and he was about to cast them out, and the demon said, Do please do not throw us where? Into the abyss. Where was this place? This was a holding tank. It was a place of entrapment um, for, for fallen angels. And demons. Matter of fact, in the abyss were uh, a couple sets of fallen angels. We know that in the book, in back in the book of Genesis, there were the sons of God who married the daughters of men, and they produced giants on the earth. Uh, they were fallen angels who married and mixed with humanity, and the judgment of God threw them into the abyss. Second Peter tells us. Second Peter four tells us that these. Uh, these these uh, demons were in prison and chained. And so what was the reason for their en- being enchained in the abyss? Because their purpose was to dilute or to destroy the lineage of the coming of Jesus. Do you remember the prophecy in Genesis 3.15? When the prophecy of Jesus began that He would come and, and the whole purpose of them was to destroy the lineage of Jesus so that Jesus could not come. The pure lineage of Jesus could not come through the time of history so that he could be born. But the Bible said that when Jesus rose, was, uh, uh, died and put in the tomb, the Bible said that he went to Hades for three days, right? Peter said that he appeared before all those demons that, that, that tried to block his coming. And I thought to myself, when you read that scripture in 2 Peter, I thought to myself, wouldn't that have been an interesting day? All of a sudden in the abyss, here's these, these chained demons that have been chained, and all of a sudden in comes Jesus, who comes in, who's died on the cross. He's been given the authority of heaven and earth, the keys of the kingdom, and he shows himself to those that tried to destroy him, and to block his coming. And he comes and he says, I'm here. I've arrived. In other words, you couldn't stop me from coming. And he led captives, captivity captive. He led them, right? He led men. He led the Old Testament saints out. And so we're thankful that Jesus, his lineage was unable to be blocked. But here, this judgment is a releasing of these demons on the earth. To, the Bible says that they are to they sting like scorpions. And, and for five months they torment the earth in this judgment. And so we see this release of these demons. I can't go into there are uh, uh, it goes on to talk about um, that these demons, there's a there's eleven uh, there's eleven uh, images of these demons that we see how they operate 
They, they manifest themselves in 11 forms, but we don't have time to go through them. But I'm going to stop with this tonight and end with this. We see that these demons have been released on the earth. The Bible calls the great tribulation, the great day of God's wrath. And so the Bible tells us in Revelation 6.17, who's able to stand in that day. But I want to close with, I want to give you a scripture. I want to give you two scriptures, by the way. And so uh, 1 Thessalonians 1.10, I want to leave you with this tonight. Wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivered us from the wrath to come. See, the bad news is those that are left here after the rapture, they're going to have to live through great tribulation. But the good news for us, the Bible tells us that those of us who wait for the coming of His Son, who He raised from the dead, even Jesus, what's the Bible said? He has delivered us from the wrath to come. How many are thankful you're delivered from the wrath to come? I'm thankful as the church, I don't have to go through the tribulation. Amen? Let me read to you 1 Thessalonians 5.9. For people who say that the church has to go through the, the tribulation, this is the scripture you give them. You give them these two scriptures. It said, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain our salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what that tells me? That it's not God's desire that I've not been appointed to wrath. I've not been appointed to stand on the earth through these judgments of the tribulation. That God has appointed me to be delivered from the wrath through Christ Jesus. You say, well, you'll have to do better than that. Well, I can. The Lord took Lot out of Sodom before the fire and brimstone fell. Did he not? The Lord put Noah and his family in the ark before the flood came. And the Lord will call His beloved home before the great tribulation. I'm telling you, the world is headed for hell and for judgment. If you do not intend to go... And uh, I was flying back from uh, California this summer, and we had a layover in Texas. And I got on a plane in Dallas and was heading to Cincinnati. And I remember the stewardess said this. Uh, She said... The stewardess got up and she said, this plane is headed for Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, If Cincinnati, Ohio is not in your plans, then you may deboard right now. Well, I'm here to tell you, I hear the Spirit of God saying that this plane is headed for heaven. And if that's not your plans, you better get on board actually instead of deboard. Because I'm on a plane that's headed to heaven. And I can't wait for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is an hour when we have to be ready to give every man an answer for the hope that is in us. Stand with me tonight, if you would. And let's pray and be released tonight. And um, praise God. Hallelujah. You know, going through Revelation sometimes can be kind of tedious and it can be a little bit monotonous. But I think it's good that we get into the Scripture and we seek out some of these truths. Because we know that it's coming. We know the things which shall be hereafter are coming. And as we get later in the book, we're going to get into the specifics of the judgment seat of Christ, the marriage supper of the Lamb, the Bema seat, you know, the thousand year reign, the final judgment. We're going to talk about those. But we must understand that there is a judgment that's coming on this earth. I mean, I'm here to tell you that sometimes in my prayer closet... I'm like, God, why do you allow the wicked to get away with what they get away with? You know what I mean? You ever feel that way? You ever just get angry inside because the wicked seem to be getting, seem to be winning? The Bible said David in Psalms 75, the Bible said David looked out into the earth and he questioned God and said, God, why do the wicked prosper? Right? And he complained to God. And then all of a sudden the Bible said, He said, but when I came into the house of the Lord, I understood. How many are thankful that when we get in the house of the Lord and we get in His Word, we understand what God is doing in the earth? God's merciful. He's wanting men to repent. He's wanting men to come to Christ. And so we have to be patient. How many know God's more patient than we are? 
I mean, sometimes I wish some of the news commentators would just insinuate, just poof, be gone, you know? I mean, because it's so crazy. It's so crazy. It's so out there. You know, I mean, it is so out there. And, and they've, they've lost their ever-living mind, some of them. But this is the hour we're living in. You're going to be challenged for your faith. You're going to be challenged. I hope you're ready to give every man an answer. Let's pray tonight. Father, we thank you that, God, we know that, Lord, it's not your desire to judge man. That's not your heart. You came to redeem man. But there's a day your son is going to come and he's going to redeem the earth. He's going to open the scroll. He's going to open the seals and he's going to retake back the deed of the earth that Satan had stolen. He's going to redeem it back. And God, we pray that our hearts will be ready, that our mind that we'll be ready to receive and be ready for your coming. God, I don't want to miss your visitation. And I pray for my family that's lost right now. I pray they will come to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray for our city and our earth and our governments and our leaders, God. We pray that you put a halt to the wickedness and its influence in the earth. Raise up a church that proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ and His blood. And we thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. We rejoice tonight that we are a people that have hope, not a people without hope. And we thank you that you have delivered us from the coming day of wrath. Thank you for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.